0: We're, we're wrapping up our series on Elijah this morning, and I'm really just going to take a few moments. And I when, I know you hear uh, preachers say that, oh, we're only going to talk for a couple minutes this morning, but we're really only going to talk for a couple minutes this morning um, because I really believe that our time of communion is, is really um, going to be special this morning. I believe it is, it is the spotlight of our, of our morning here is, is remembering Christ's death. And so I'm just going to really talk on a couple things very briefly as we wrap up our story on Elijah. We're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And it says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Okay, so what is happening in this moment when it says that Elijah threw his cloak across his shoulders, meaning Elisha's shoulders, what Elijah is doing is he is is putting that mantle that Elijah has had onto Elisha. He is passing the torch. This is a very symbolic and very real moment where Elijah, think about all that Elijah has done, the reputation that Elijah is, has, right? He's confronted the king. Fire has come down from heaven. He's raised a boy from the dead. And he is now going to Elisha and he's saying, here you go, man, it's yours. It's yours. This is not mine. My time is up. I'm handing it off to you. And Elisha says, he's like, okay, well, can I, let let me go first kiss my mom goodbye. Let me go say goodbye to my dad. With an exclamation point, right? He's excited. He's saying, let me, let me go say bye. And and Elijah has this interesting response to that request. He says, okay, go ahead. But do you realize what I've just done to you? Do you realize the significance of what is happening right now? That God is calling you to something greater, and in that moment, are you really worried about going and saying goodbye? Or should you just instead be sprinting forward to what lie ahead? And you know, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting thing here. As we see that Elisha then goes and he destroys his plow. And, and he sacrifices, he kills his oxen. And he, and he puts them on the fire and he feeds everybody, right? And so it's like he has this moment of realization like, oh my goodness, you're right. You've just put your cloak on me. You've just given me this mantle. Why in the world would I care about what was and instead just fully fully focus on what lie ahead? And so in doing so, I'm going to destroy everything that I have. This is not a Lot's wife moment where he's going to be looking back on what was familiar, what was comfortable. He's going to destroy everything that he has so that the only way that he can go is forward. And listen, y'all, the truth is there's a lot of us in here that need to destroy the plows in our life. But we are so comfortable with what we know, what, what, with what we're familiar with, that we're not taking that step forward with what God has for us next. Yeah. All right, And we're so scared of the unknown that we cling to what is. Yeah. And y'all, today is the day we got to burn those plows. we got to sacrifice the oxen and just say, God, I'm all in. The things that I've been holding on to, I'm letting go of. And the fear that we have in our life is not what it's not. It's not necessarily what God's going to have do, you know, have us do. But it's just that we don't know what it is. And so we just hold on so tight, we white knuckle grip what we know because it's comfortable. You know, there's there's two parts to following Jesus. There's that receiving Jesus, right, where we accept His sacrifice, and we're able to burn the 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 past of who we were and in our shame and our guilt and our failures and all those things and it's it is a process there's days where we kind of want to bring those things back into our lives and 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 allow them to dictate us but there's also this joy of that realization that jesus has taken those things from us and we readily let go of all those failures all that shame all that guilt that jesus takes from us when we say yes but then there's that other part of now following jesus where we have to burn the plow and sacrifice the oxen in our life and say, I'm letting go, God. Just like we sang about earlier in the song Oceans, right? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into that deep water and I'm not looking back. And I'm going to sacrifice, check it out, what's comfortable and what's familiar. Oh man, do we love comfort. A lot of times we seek Jesus for comfort, which is really, you know, contrary to scripture, (laughs) you know? He's trying to get us uncomfortable, constantly. We're wondering, God, when are you going to make us comfortable? He's saying, I'm trying to get you to burn and smash all the the plows. You're trying to preserve them. So Elisha says, okay, I see what, what you've done here, Elijah. I'm going to rid myself of any excuse to look back. I am all in on what lay ahead. Contrast this with what we read about in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus is confronted by the rich young ruler. Interesting title for this guy. All the things that the world tells us to have. Have our youth, have our money, and have our power. And this guy's got all of it. And he comes to Jesus, he says, you know, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to be saved? I've, 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 I've done all the commandments, all those things. And Jesus says, okay, sell everything and come follow me. Smash up the plows, kill the oxen. And come follow me. Jesus is saying, the world says to chase after these things. Power, money, youth. That stuff doesn't matter to me at all. Get rid of that stuff. Follow me. Let's let's see you get a little uncomfortable. And trust me. Trust that as good as those things might look on paper, what I have for you is so much better. And that's what we need to understand when God is calling us to smash our plows and sacrifice the oxen, that what we're letting go of pales in comparison to what he has for us ahead. Just because we don't know what it is doesn't mean it's not better. It is. Y'all, if you haven't heard, God is better than us, right? His ways are better than us. His thoughts are higher than ours. Everything about God is better than us. So if, if everything about God is better than us, then his plans for us are better than our plans for ourselves. So why wouldn't we run to the plow and smash it up rather than just kind of take the ax and slowly just kind of like, like you know, drag it across the wood going, why isn't it smashing? I don't know, right? Because we're not actually smashing it. We should want to smash those things. Get got out of our comfort saying, God, I'm going after you all the way and I'm not looking back and I'm getting rid of every single excuse that I could possibly have. We're going to jump to 2 Kings, starting in verse 2. And I just want to say really quickly, on an aside, before we get this, uh, we're going over a couple chapters. There's some really cool stuff in there. And I encourage you, if you've enjoyed this story, this study on Elijah, read those. Read them on your own. All right? We're not going to spend time on it today, but but read the end of... Of 1 Kings and check out what's going on with Naboth and all this other stuff and how uh, Jezebel dies, um, just, her blood licked up by dogs. It's all, it's all really cool. Um, I know it sounds, you know, like I'm weird. but It's not. It's cool, all right? Uh, but we're going to go in Second Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Don't you love God's people? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on to, together to Jericho Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped by the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck uh, the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elijah replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, "'My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel.' And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, "'Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?' Then the river divided, and Elijah went across. So that's it for Elijah. In that moment, just like that, my chariots of fire and horses of fire, Elijah is taken up to heaven, and Elijah is left there with his cloak, the calling now on him. And I think this is just such a really touching scene here, where Elijah knows that his time is about up, and the Lord has allowed him to go to say goodbye to to those in ministry with him. And there's this, there's this sense from also Elisha, he knows what's happening. If he didn't know, everyone's really faithful to tell him what's going on, you know. Oh, by the way, your loved one's about to leave you, you know. Thank you. And I um, appreciate that. And he's uh, like, yeah, I know, I don't want to talk about it. Like, this is a very real moment here. And we get to this point where Elijah finally asks Elisha, you know, what do you want? If you could ask me one thing, what do you want? He says, I want a double share of your spirit. And and as we read this, we need to know that Elisha is not doing this so that he can show up Elijah and be better than him. The the thought here, the verbiage is that Elisha is saying, Elijah, treat me like your firstborn son. Treat me like your firstborn son, because I see you as that father figure. And if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take your cloak, if I'm going to take your mantle, and I'm going to continue on in this ministry that God has called me to, I want that firstborn inheritance. I don't want a little bit of it. I want all that God has for me. And just as a firstborn would say to his father, give me that inheritance that a firstborn should have, he's telling Elijah, give me that. Give me that anointing of a firstborn son. Right? Very much Jesus to God. Give me all that I have, God. I am your only begotten son. Elisha is saying that to Elijah. Give me all of this because I know the call is great. And I'm willing. You see him. The, the cloak falls to the ground. It falls to the ground. And Elisha could very easily just kind of pretend he doesn't see it and just walk away. Oh, I, mean, I tried. But no, he goes and he, he makes the point. He makes the decision to see the cloak on the ground and he picks it up. He says, It's mine now. I smashed the plow, I've cooked the oxen. Now I'm picking up the cloak. And this call that you have on my life, that's not about me. It's about you. And I don't know if you know, noticed in there, it was so casually mentioned that when they're going, you know, Elijah touches the Jordan River with his cloak and sure, why not? It's parts, dry ground, they walk across. Super casual moment. But then Elisha takes the cloak, picks it up, and goes and does the exact same thing. Why? Because he saw Elijah do it, and he received what Elijah had. So of course, it makes sense to go do it. And as he touches the river with his cloak, he says this: "Where are you, Lord, God of Elijah? Not. Where are you, Elijah? Where are you, Lord, God of Elijah?" He's not looking for Elijah anymore. The power to part the, the Jordan River is not in Elijah. It's not in the cloak. It's in God. And so he says, where are you, Lord? Where are you? I'm ready. Let's start this journey. And the journey is that way. It's across the Jordan. So I'm gonna go because there's nowhere else for me to go. I've burned everything else up. I've destroyed everything else. There is no plan B. There is no other option. I've picked up the cloak and I'm following you. It doesn't matter what the world says. I'm following you. Even, even in his grief, where it says that Elisha tore his clothes in distress. He doesn't ask for that double share because he wants a great title or because he wants fame or anything like that. Elijah's gone and he's in distress. He misses Elijah. He's in mourning. He's in grief. But even in his grief, he moves forward and he goes on with what God has him do but man we're, we're often times we wait for the perfect situation the perfect timing the perfect scenario and then I'll cross the Jordan Lord. then I'll pick up the cloak then I'll destroy the plow then I'll sacrifice the oxen but let me just get all my ducks in a row what did Jesus say to that let the dead bury their own dead this is, this is now this is now Follow me now. I'm calling you now. Let's go. I'll heal you in the midst of it. I'll take care of that. That's my responsibility. That's not yours. We got to pick up the cloak and we got to go. But of everything, everything about this story, what, what stood out to me the most was the very beginning of it when it says back in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven. When he's about to take Elijah, there's that sense of finality right there, right? And that immediately reminded me of Jesus. It reminded me of Jesus. And in John 13, starting in verse 1, when it says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. So there's this understanding of both Elijah knowing that he's about to leave and Jesus knowing he is about to leave. And the two could not be any more different. Elijah goes and he says goodbye to his friends, to those in ministry. And then when his moment comes, chariots of fire, chariots uh, uh, pulled by horses of fire, Come, and they take him up to heaven. Jesus, when he knew that his his time had come to leave this world, it says this, In return to his father, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Verse 2, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. Verse 4, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, Wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So Jesus, knowing that his time was up on earth, knowing he had all authority, knowing that he came from the Father and was going back to the Father, said, Where's my chariot? Where's the horses? No, it says, So, with all that understanding, he got on his hands and knees. And he washed his disciples' feet. He was cleaning them off. It was like Jesus was saying, okay, I'm about to pass you my cloak and I'm gonna wash your feet for the road that lay ahead, for the work that has to be done. I'm passing it on to you. In my example to you, my, my example is not chariots and horses. It's servant. It's to be a servant. It's to be the lowest of the low. And so I'm washing your feet. I think it's interesting in in my Bible, in in, uh, John 13, you know, each chapter in the Bible, most of them have, you know, subtitles that break down the chapters and this is what's happening in this portion, this is what's happening in this portion. And in John 13, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, after he does this amazing act, the Son of God, taking on the lowest position in the house, the next two Subtitles within that chapter are Jesus identifies his betrayer and Peter denies Jesus. So the immediate reaction of Jesus doing this is one of them that he, ju- he just washed his feet betraying Jesus and another denying him in his greatest hour of need. If there's anyone on the face of this earth that has ever deserved an exit that involved chariots of fire and horses of fire. It was Jesus. He lived the perfect life. The perfect life. He was the Son of the Most High God that came and dwelt among us. He deserved it. He deserved all the pomp and circumstance. All the celebration. All the ticker tape parades. All those things. And in that moment where His hour was about to come, instead of chariots of fire and horses of fire awaiting him it was a cross the most despised despicable the thing of the most the worst reputation things that 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 Jews wouldn't even look upon when people were on a cross that was what was waiting jesus a cross that he had to carry up a hill and put in the ground himself the place of the skull where he was beaten and mocked and spit on Up until his very last breath. No, not a chariot of fire. No horses of fire. A criminal's cross is what waited for Jesus. And what did he get in those last moments? Someone that he loved betraying him, and someone that he loved pretending he didn't even know who he was. And then we sit here and we hesitate. To smash up our plows and sacrifice the oxen in our life because we're worried about what Jesus is going to do with us. you know, we don't got to worry. Look at what he did in his last hours. He's saying, I'm going to wash your feet and I died for you. I didn't choose the chariot of fire. I didn't choose the horses. I chose the cross For you. For you. And it's not about what we do. It's not about, certainly about us earning it. It's a gift that Jesus gave us. And he gives us every single day. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus does ascend into heaven. But not before he is nailed to a cross. Not before he suffers an incredible pain an incredible humiliation. Think about what it must have been like for Jesus, having all the authority in heaven and earth, to stay on a cross, swallow that. I mean, if it had been us, there's no way we would have taken, forget the pain, just the words that were said to him. Yeah, you want to say that? And check this out, all right? He doesn't, Jesus keeps his mouth shut. He just takes it. He takes it for us. I'm with the band come back up. And we are going to take communion this morning. We take communion because Jesus tells us to. To remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But this morning, I want to add a little something to that as well as you come up and receive communion this morning and and we do it up front because it is an action it is something where we stand up and we we come forward where you make that decision to receive during our 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 prayer uh, this morning Hannah prayed over our service and and prayed that this time of communion wouldn't be a religious time or just something that we do out of you know because we're going through the motions or anything like that and and I was so grateful because that that was my heart this morning as well that this would not be just a religious thing that we do because it's the third Sunday of the month and that's what we do here at Beaches Chapel. But as you stand and come forward, I want you, before you even leave your seat, ask the Lord for the courage to smash some plows in your life, to burn up all the oxen that is holding you back from taking that step forward with what God has for you. And across the room, and those watching online, there are cloaks at our feet. Where God's saying, it's your turn now. I have something for you. But will we pick it up? Will we pick it up and walk with him? It's great. It's great to sing Oceans in church. It's a beautiful song. Incredibly well written. Awesome melody but will we actually do it? Will we go out into the deeper waters? Will we trust the Lord to go forward and not look back? And there's a few things I think that are especially true with some plows in our life. Each one of us has something unique. I was talking to Someone earlier before church about what I was sharing on, and when I came to this point and said, yeah, for me it's social media, I gotta, I gotta destroy that plow, it's holding me back. For some, it might be money. For a lot of us in here though, I believe there's unforgiveness in the room that has birthed bitterness, that whether we even understand it or not or realize it or not we are now putting on Jesus that unforgiveness towards someone else we've applied to our relationship with Jesus and the bitterness is is towards that person but it's also towards the Lord and it's holding us back. That was a very specific word for this morning that there's unforgiveness in the room and y'all we need to smash that plow of unforgiveness and bring relationships we have. Does that mean that we're going to be best friends with that person? No. Does it mean that you trust them again? No. Maybe not. But it does mean that it doesn't hold you captive anymore. It holds you back in the things that God has for you moving forward. So let's stand up. And I'm going to pray for you. But before we do, I'm just going to read out of Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 19. It says, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be that perfect sacrifice for us. And Jesus, we're so grateful that though you lived a perfect life, though you were the Son of God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, fully deserving of a chariot of fire to take you back home, you instead chose the On shame and guilt, you took on death, you surrendered your spirit, it never beat you, you surrendered it for us. And Lord, this morning, as we come up and we take the bread that represents your body and we dip it into the cup of juice that represents your blood, God, I pray that if there's any plows in our life that we need to smash do so, that we can fully follow after you without looking back, that we would not be like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he couldn't let go, God, that we would move forward, and as we do believe that the rain is coming here for your church, God, we know that that means something for us, that we can't just sit by and wait twiddling our thumbs just staying comfortable. We have to take those steps and get out of our comfort zone and do new things and try new things and trust in you more and let go of the past, Father, so that we can move forward. Father, if there's any unforgiveness in the hearts of anybody here, Lord, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would walk with us in that process of forgiveness, Lord. the hurt that we've been clinging to, that maybe even dictating our lives and our actions and our steps, Lord. Pray, Jesus. And you would help us forgive those that have hurt us. Maybe even help us to forgive ourselves, Lord, where we've fallen short of beating ourselves up like crazy. And we would smash those things in Jesus' name. If, it's, if it is social media, God, if it's money, if it's whatever, Whatever, whatever that thing is that's holding us back Lord, pray right now Lord that you would put it on the, the front of our minds and we would release it God as we come forward we take the bread dip dip it into the cup Lord, that those things would be released and they would be no more make that decision Father and make it again in an hour when we have to in an hour after that Lord but this would be that moment that starts it and that by this time next week Lord we will not be the same we're able to say that confidently, Lord. We're able to make those decisions because you chose the cross for us. So Father, we do take the bread. We say thank you for your body that was beaten, broken, and nailed to a cross. We say thank you. And God, for your blood that was poured out, represented by the Jews this morning, Lord, that washes us clean every single day. Thank you. That was poured out, puddled at the bottom of the cross on that hill. You stayed and you died. I'm grateful for that, Lord. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning that is struggling, has never received you as their savior, has been trying to be their own savior, trying to figure it out on their own. I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to them. You just say that it's a free gift. There's nothing you could do to earn or deserve it. Jesus. Of us, what he asks of us is to believe in our heart, profess with our mouth that He is Lord. So, as you come up, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I pray that on your way up you would make that decision. God, we love you, and we honor you, and we bless you this morning, in Jesus' name. If you need extra prayer this morning, whatever you might be walking through, after our elders take communion. They're going to come up and they're going to be on the sides. You can just come to them uh, for any prayer that you might need. But let's just go ahead and start in our front. If you're in the middle sections, you can come to this middle table. If you're on the wings, you can come to these tables over here and just make your way back around the sides. So I just invite you this morning, come up and receive the bread, dip it in the cup, and smash the plow on your way up. Thank you, Jesus.